You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. $1.6 billion. Anybody know what that number represents? Yeah, the Powerball. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would be curious to know how many of you ran out and bought a ticket. And you normally don't buy a ticket, but last night you decided last night would be the night. Well, you probably stayed up late, and it was a pretty exciting night because LSU knocked off Alabama last night. Can I get an amen there? Yeah. I'm an LSU fan. For those of you who do not remember or did not know that, um, I am an LSU fan. So I was pretty stoked. It was hard for me to go to sleep last night. So I got to step and check my, I mean, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I did not play because I've realized the chances of winning that thing are astronomical. And you know what? Nobody won last night. So now it will be $1.9 billion. There's a good chance that if you won that, that you wouldn't have been here today, number one. Um, but there's a good chance that if you win that, that you, your life would, tra- would change dramatically, dramatically. As a matter of fact, there was a guy by the name of um, Tim Schultz. Tim Schultz won the lottery back in 1999. He won $28 million, okay? He was a 21-year-old college student who was pumping gas at a service station, and he sold himself the winning ticket to the, to the lottery that year. I forget what state he was in, but this is what he said. He said, for myself, initially, it was extremely exhilarating, but once that wears off, and it does, you are still yourself. And he went on and he said this, the lottery doesn't change who you are, but it does magnify your personality and your ability to do what you want to do. This guy now has a YouTube channel and he interviews lottery winners and they they talk about how the lottery changed their life. Many of them, it, it certainly gave them freedom financially, but it didn't change who they were at the core. Never changes who we are at the core. And so no matter where you are financially, who you are is just really, it's who you are. And you must change and fix the core of who you are in order for us to all manage and handle money the way we should. Because we will all leave behind a financial inheritance of some sort or a financial mess of some sort or for some to sort out. And so here's what I realize: I do many funerals throughout the year. And sometimes you kind of get a little bit of backstory about somebody and, you know, they'll go like, man, we just went to their house and we started going through all of their, their bills and it was just unbelievable. We did not realize how in debt they were. We did not realize all that they had, um, you know, all that they owed. And, and, and somebody has to sort out your finances or my finances after we're gone. And so we're all going to leave some type of financial inheritance Behind, We're going to leave some level of financial legacy for those who come along behind us. There's a passage in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, because I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving a good inheritance. Because Here's what the wisest man who ever lived had to say. He said, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Meaning that somebody, if you, if you do well and 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 you should do well. There's nothing wrong with doing well. But there's a good thing to leave an inheritance, not just to your kids, but also to your children's children. So that means that you, as the person who's leaving behind an inheritance, needs to prepare the next generation for how to handle money. 
so that that generation will hand it off to your children's children. If not, there's going to be somebody that's going to come along who is righteous, who knows how to handle money, and they will probably in some way be recipients of that money. And so my question for us today is, what will your financial legacy be? What will your financial legacy be? Because we're all going to leave something behind. It's going to be either some money for people to to enjoy, or it's going to be a lot of confusion for people to try to sort out. And last week, we talked about what a legacy is. Legacy is simply this. It's what we remember about a person. And when it comes to money, I've often wondered what my children will remember about me when it comes to money. We joked around all day long yesterday about the lottery, no lie. We talked about what, you would, what would you do if you got home with $700 million? We can't, most of us in this room, I don't think we have any billionaires that go to our church. If so, I'm wondering why we haven't funded that building already down there. Um, uh, but, but I'm, but, right? Exactly. But I, uh, I, I wonder, what, what would be, my family said, what would be the first thing you would do? I was like, man, I would buy a yacht and I would have a pilot down there waiting on me at any time that I wanted to go. And I would just show up and preach like every third Sunday. Okay, the rest of the time I'd be in the Caribbean, Okay. I really don't know what I would do. It would, it would change your life dramatically. I mean, we can't fathom that, but we're gonna leave something behind. And I wonder what the next generation would say about us. Would they say, my dad or my mom or that generation ahead of me, they were stingy with the stuff they had. They, would not, they weren't generous at all. They were just stingy people. As a matter of fact, they were, they were overly obsessed about money. They were always looking for how to make another dollar and they were obsessed with how they could get another dollar and they were always cheating people out of it and kind of going around and and finding loopholes to try to get more money because they were just obsessed with it. Would the next generation say, you know what? I went into my parents' house and I started filtering through all of their stuff. They were so unorganized. I don't know how they paid anything on time. I don't know that they ever paid anything on time. They were so disorganized. Or would they say, you know what? My parents really had a good understanding of money and they were very organized with it and they were super generous. What will the next generation remember about us when it comes to money? Because they are learning from us. When my kids were growing up, we listened to podcasts of Dave Ramsey all the time. And they would, Dad, we don't wanna listen to that on the way to Louisiana again. So I've been, we've been in cars for 13 hours listening to Dave Ramsey. Okay, and so they were like so sick of it. But you know what? To this day, my kids handle money very well. And probably they they absorb stuff through listening to all those podcasts all of those years. But in Luke chapter 12, there was a story that Jesus, uh, there's a story that, that Luke recorded for us about Jesus interacting with some brothers who had an inheritance. And here's what, the, here's what it said. Someone in the crowd said to him, now Jesus is teaching them. He's in the middle of talking about what it means to be a disciple of his and laying down everything to be a follower of Christ, being a surrender, surrendering everything to Christ. In the middle of this, somebody interrupts him to ask him a, quote, real life question. Hey, Jesus, all of that discipleship stuff and following you, that's, that's fine and good for people. But listen, here's a real life question that we want to ask you. And at the core of it was some selfishness. And so they interrupt Jesus. And here's what one of them said. Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Now, first of all, that tells me that the parents 
didn't do a good job of telling them what they should do with the inheritance, okay? There must not have been a will that was written out somewhere. Parents, let me just tell you, seniors, adults, go do a will. Get a will taken care of so this kind of conversation does not have to happen for your kids and for your grandchildren, all right? So they tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, this is what Jesus replied, who made me a judge or an arbitrator, is that right? Arbitrator over you. What, what, what position am I in to start to divide your wealth? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. There's something that's showing up in your conversation because you two brothers have to fight over what your parents left behind. And that feels like a pretty realistic scenario if you've ever been around death and families that leave behind stuff and did not have a will, or even if they do, the arguing and the, the fighting, and I love this word, the bickering about it, they, they do this. It happens. So take care and guard yourself against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus is saying, you've got some selfishness, some covetousness that's showing up in this fighting that you've got going on, and I want you to know that your life is not all about your possessions. There's something that is far more important than what you have, and that is who you are, and money reveals so many times who we are at the core, just like Tim Schultz said. Goes on, and he told them a parable, a story. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, so it's a earthly tr- or heavenly truth laid beside an earthly story, and he said this, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. He had abundant crops. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do? Or what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all of my crops. I have more than I can spend or eat or consume on my own. I have inherited or I have done really well. And this is more than I could do on my own. And he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and all my Goods, and I will say to myself, I will say to my, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, or more than enough. You have more than you could ever use, and they're laid up for many years. Now, just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And we get into this life pursuit, and we just desire, just like these guys, or just like this story that Jesus is telling that we just want to consume, 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 and store up and store up because we want to relax, eat, drink and be married. And I look at that and I go, it really doesn't sound like a bad retirement plan right there, does it? I mean, that would be a good one. Just relax, eat, drink, be merry, be happy. Just because that's what we're living for, right? Just to be happy. No, that's not what it is. Here's what Jesus or God said to him. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? The things that you have accomplished, all of that stuff that you've stored up in all those barns, Whose is it going to be when you're long gone? Because there's somebody who is going to be the consumer of all of that you leave behind. So who will that be? And so this little story puts a a magnifying glass on the spirit behind the money. That these guys were arguing over inheritance. It was revealing something about covetousness in their spirit. And Jesus said, that is not what life is all about. There's something more to that because your soul is going to be required of you and there's some level of accounting that's gonna be done in heaven regarding our finances. Jesus talked about finances more than he talked about anything else. Isn't that crazy? That he talked about money so much 
because he knows there's a direct connection between our wallet and our heart. And that's what he's revealing through this. And that's why I really like talking about money. It's because it reveals so much about who we are at the core. And so when it comes to leaving a financial legacy, I got four things that I wanna share with you today. Number one is this, live like a steward. Now this word steward is not one that we use very often. It is associated with biblical terminology. It's an archaic word, it's an old term. And here's what it means. It means one who has the authority and responsibility for something. And it's usually something that is someone else's. So a steward is somebody who is responsible to someone else for that other person's goods. So let's just say this. Imagine I gave Tom $100,000. It was mine, and I said, I want you to manage it, okay? If I gave that to him, and if I started watching him, and he went out, you know, and he was frivolously spending it and just wasting all of that, I would be pretty critical of that probably, right? I would, I would scrutinize the way he spent all of that money because he's stewarding or managing something that's mine. And that's the way God would be. He would look at us and he'd say, listen, I have given you all of that. Everything that you have really is mine. And I have given that for, to you for you to steward it or to manage it well. And there are ways to do that. And so God is up there looking at us and going, man, he is not a very good manager of the wealth that I've given him. Here's what John Wesley said. When the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as an owner, but as a steward. We are here as stewards of the things that are God's. And the responsibility of a steward is to be faithful to his master. So God is our master. God is the one who owns it all. And when he looks down at us, he has given us stewardship over those things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. And you and I are stewards of that. I am a steward of my family. We talked about that last week. I am, God has given me my family to steward or to manage my family well. God has given me the money that he has blessed me with in order for me to steward that and manage that well. And everything that we have is his. So number one, live like a steward. Number two, live within your means. This is hard. It's very hard, especially with inflation the way it is, right? I mean, you can go out and eat beanie weenies. You can eat beans and rice. You can do all that you can to make things cheaper. When you go to the gas pump, it's still expensive. It is still, if my car runs out of gas one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, it's almost like you got to take out a loan to go get a, a tank of gas. It's so expensive. And you know what? Here's the funny thing about, not the funny thing, but the, real, the realistic thing about it is there are people who are having to live on credit because of inflation. And they were living within their means, but there was no margin. There was no margin for anything to go up. If your electric bill went up by $50 or your gas bill went up by $50, it absorbed the margin that you had in your finances. And so when I say live within your means, I mean set some boundaries that give you some margin so that when things do go up, it doesn't devastate the budget. And so when, when speaking about himself, Jesus, or when he's talking about this, Jesus appeals to a very common sense thing when it comes to disciple making. Over in Luke chapter 14, here's what Jesus said. 
For which of you desiring to build a tower, he's talking about discipleship and following him, which of you desiring to build a house does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So if you were gonna go out here and build something, you would go, okay, I've got $200,000 to go out and build a house, which you probably can't build much of a house for $200,000 anymore, but I'm gonna go out and build a house and I'm just gonna tell them I want the finest cabinets, I want the finest doors, I want the finest windows, I want it to be... 30 or 3,000 square feet, and you go, all right, just go build it, and they come back with a bill, you would go, I don't have that kind of money. Well, you did not budget or you did not plan accordingly, and that's what he's saying. Who would go out and sit down to build a tower and would not first sit down and count the cost? It's, he's talking about budgeting. When he's talking about being a follower of Jesus, don't jump into following Jesus without counting the cost. And he appeals to a real-life scenario that is common-sense practice for most people, and that is just to build a budget. He says, otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and it's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. You've, you've gone by houses like this. You'll drive by and you go, man, I've seen the walls on that house up for six months and they have not made any progress. You know what happened? They probably got out ahead of their budget. They probably spending more than they had the money to spend and they're trying to catch up or, or whatever the case may be. He said, and they say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So the practice of budging really just basically sets boundaries or sets boundaries around our spending so that we live within our means. I mean, some people look at their checking account and they go, I've got $500 in there, so I must have $500 to spend on anything. Budgeting says, no, I don't, because I know I've got an electric bill coming out, and I know I've got such and such coming out, and I know that that money's in there so that I have margin and I don't overdraft my account or I don't have to live off of credit or anything like that. So basically what a budget is is this. Budget is to plan your spending in order to spend within your means. It's planning your spending so that you stay within your means. Let me just put a scenario out there. If you made $5,000 a month, okay, in your household income, and you live just 5% above that, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's about $250 a month, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I got $5,000, but I'm living just a little bit above my means, or I have no margin, and it's only 5%, it doesn't seem like a lot, you will spend an extra $250 somewhere, and usually that's absorbed on a credit card, or some kind of a loan, or something like that, and, and, and you don't pay that off every month, and what happens, that by the end of the year, you will be $3,000 in debt. Just by in one year, by living 5% above your margin or above your budget. And then what happens is, because I've been here, a few years you go along like that and you look at you look down and you got a credit card bill that's like eight, $9,000. You say, well, I can't afford to pay that. The interest rate's 18% or even higher sometimes. So you know what you do? You go, well, I've got that bill and I've got a couple of doctor bills over here and I got this little loan that I took out that time. So I'll just go down to the bank and I'll get a five-year loan and I'll call it a debt consolidation loan. And so what we do is we consolidate about three or four bills and we put those over here in another loan. We got a, a spending plan. All right, I can pay that off in five years and I won't have to worry about that 18% interest or whatever. But what happens is we go right back into the same scenario. Now we have that payment added to all of our other stuff 
And we still pull out the credit card and use it to absorb the dinners that we wanted to go out on that we didn't budget for or the extra gas that we have to buy that we didn't plan for or that vacation that we owe to ourselves. And pretty soon we're living 5% above our budget plus we got that debt consolidation loan and we're building up credit card debt. Listen, budgeting keeps the boundaries set. And so as you learn to do that, you start to plan that ahead. Every single month, you write out a spending plan before the month starts so that you can stay within the margin and stay within the boundaries of keeping you from going deeper and deeper in debt. And listen, we've done all that we can to equip you for that. We have a free membership to uh, Ramsey Plus, which is a place where you can do all of your budgeting, you can do all of your, you can even go through financial peace on the church. We paid for a license for a year for y'all. And it's free to you. There are cards out there on the table. Just go grab one, scan the barcode, and, buy, and sign up for a free membership, and it will help you with this budgeting idea. But when it comes to budgeting, there's two things you need to remember. Don't spend more than you make. I mean, it seems common sense, but most of us don't do that. Don't spend more than you make. The other side of that is don't keep more than you should. That comes to that, that idea of just, Hoarding up things. You know, it's the difference between hoarding and saving. So don't spend more than you make, but don't keep more than you should. Don't build bigger barns to keep storing up for stuff so that you can just eat, drink, be merry, and live the rest of your life like that. No, don't spend more than you make, but don't keep more than you should. Here's what we learn in Ecclesiastes. The same guy that wrote Proverbs wrote Ecclesiastes. He says, there, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, meaning that they kept too much stuff. They hoarded. There's nothing wrong with saving. There's nothing wrong with planning for retirement and those kind of things. There's nothing wrong with leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children. But don't be a hoarder. The difference between hoarding and saving many times comes down to the condition of our heart. Saving is motivated by wisdom, preparation, but hoarding is motivated by selfishness and fear. Selfishness and fear motivates hoarding. So you gotta be careful about this. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. There's a grievous evil that I've seen, riches that were kept by their owner to his hurt. Same writer of Ecclesiastes wrote this in Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You know what she does? Without having any chief officer or ruler or accountant or anybody else, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So she's storing up. She understands what saving and preparing is all about, but not a hoarder who keeps things to their own hurt or the hurt of the next generation. So number one, live like a steward. Number two, live within your means. Number three, plan for the future. Plan for the future. You know one of the best ways to plan for the future? Just get out of debt. Here's what we learned in Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Do you ever feel like you're just going to work so you can pay Bank of America or Wells Fargo or, I've, but don't start naming all the banks, somebody will get offended, okay? But, but just, we start, we, sometimes we feel like we're going to work just to make a car payment or just to make a house note or just to pay the electric bill or whatever. And that's why they got all those big buildings down in Charlotte. We got those little houses up here because we're just funding all their stuff, you know? And so the rich rules over the poor, they own us to some degree when we have debt to them. And, but the borrower is a slave to the lender. A, a man... Here, here's what you need to do. You need to make a plan to get out of debt. 
Make a plan to get out of debt. Not only that, also prepare your beneficiaries. Prepare people that are going to inherit your stuff. Prepare the people that are going to inherit your inheritance or prepare the people that are going to inherit your bills. Make sure they know that what's, what's coming that down the, you know, in the, in the future for them. Because it is so important for us to plan for the future. An inheritance gained hastily, and this is how you can prepare the next generation. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. So someone who inherits a, a, a big inheritance, a, a lot of money from somebody who is not properly prepared for it, says it will not be a blessing in the end. So make sure as you're doing that, you plan for the future on every front that you possibly can. This doesn't feel like a very spiritual practice, but it is so important for us to do. And I believe it is. It's a, it's a way that we manage the things that God has given us, how we steward the things that God has entrusted us with. So we live like a steward, we live within our means, we plan for the future, and finally, live generously. And I just wanna to touch on this for just a minute. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. What have you decided when it comes to generosity. What does generosity look like? Because it all comes from the heart condition. Nor are not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't let somebody just beg you to do it and you just do it out of guilt. It ought to come from the heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. We've got a great example of this as I finish up. Last weekend, we had gone up, I told you last week, we'd gone up to Landis to do their trunk or treat out there. <clears throat> And so we went through all of the things. We stood in that line. They did a great job planning that, but there's so many people that show up to that every year, but it's really good. It's a good festive thing up there in Landis that they do. And so we're going through the line and we've got the grandkids in line with us and they're going up and getting candy and all of this kind of stuff. Well, after we finish, we walked down to Willowbrook Grounds to go down and get us some coffee. Tori and Britton, they go to church here and they own that. And so we had walked up there to get some coffee and to, to you know, hang out for a little bit. When we walked up, their daughter, Bays had a bucket of candy. And she's just giving it out to everybody that's walking down the road and just doing a great job. She's so, got such a personality. She's just handing out candy. Hannah. Well, our, kid, our grandkids are watching that. You know, They gave them a bunch of candy to put in their, their little pails and everything like that. And so Baze left to go with her dad and, and, uh, and, and siblings to go walk through Landis. And so I just started you know, handing out candy. Who doesn't like to hand out candy, right? You make every kid happy when you do that. And so I start doing it. Well, Porter and Charlie and Austin, my grandkids, they were watching me. I said, do y'all want to hand it out? And so they were, their eyes lit up. And so, you know, they start grabbing pieces of candy and then they're fighting over it. You know, who's going to give out the candy to the next kid that walks up the, up the sidewalk? And they're, they're chasing them down. They're giving, you know, candy to every single person they see. And, and I was just watching that. And I go, that's, that's cool. You know, they could have wanted to stick it over in their, their bucket or whatever. And after it was all over, I asked Porter, who's seven years old. I said, Porter, let me just ask you this. Which was more fun, walking down through there and getting all the candy for yourself or standing here on the sidewalk and giving it out to everybody that walked by? And his eyes kind of lit up and he got a little smile on his face and he said, giving it out. Isn't that neat? At seven years old, there's some joy that comes with being a cheerful giver. 
There's something about that, that, that even a child recognizes that, who loves candy. But so many adults, we don't realize what it's like to be a cheerful giver. We're moving into a season right now. There are a lot of needy people. There are a lot of needs in our community. There are a lot of needs in our church. And those of us who have margin, those of us who have ample, those of us who have extra, should look around us and go, where is it that God is asking me to be a cheerful giver? Because there's somebody out there right now who is a sad person. They're, they're, they're sad because they're not gonna be able to provide a great Thanksgiving meal or they're not gonna be able to provide much for Christmas for the kids this year because of the way inflation is. But there's some of us who are at a place in life that we could give a little extra, that we could find a need and we could meet that need and we could meet that need in a cheerful way because you're going to make someone's day. You're gonna make someone's year by doing that. So the bottom line for the message today is this. A biblical view of money will make you a better manager, a wiser spender, and a generous giver. We are stewards of what God has given us. God is looking down and he looks at the way we spend it because he knows it's an indicator of where our hearts are in relationship to him and relationship to our money. Just a few things for you to think about. Number one, how does understanding, how does the understanding of stewardship affect the way you handle money? When you think of it as God has given it all to you, how does that affect the way you handle it? Do you live within your means? And if not, what needs to change? Number three, how are you planning for the future? How are we, how are you preparing others for the future? How are you planning and how are you preparing the next generation for the future. And then number four, do you live a generous lifestyle? And what can you do to leave a legacy of generosity? How can you teach the next generation what generosity looks like? Listen, Jesus was generous. A very benevolent God made a way for your salvation and mine by giving everything for our salvation. He gave his life for us. And he's just saying, listen, I want you to be followers of me. And one of the indicators of how committed you are to following me is how you use your money. Doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's deeply spiritual because your money and my money is connected to everything. Everything that we do, it's connected to our money. And the way we respond to it indicates where our heart is in relationship to God and the things of God. So I'm not here to com compel you or to, to preach you about tithing or giving or anything. I'm just here to tell you, check out your heart and see what comes up when it comes to this idea of money. So let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, can we just first of all say thank you for what you have entrusted to us? For some, it seems like a little. For some, it seems like a lot. But God, you have still entrusted all of us with something and it's all yours. And so God, today it's my prayer that you will help us to be better managers, better stewards, better planners, and certainly more generous. So put your finger on something in our lives today that needs to be changed, that we need to surrender to you when it comes to our finances and help us to be obedient. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave it all for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.